0: Welcome to 30 Wave Minutes, a podcast of the College of Arts and Sciences at the University of North Carolina at Pembroke. In 30 Wave Minutes, we'll give you something interesting to think about. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and Podbean. The topic for today is helping 21st century college students succeed. Your host and dean of the College of Arts and Sciences is Joe Frederick. Joining him are Beth Holder, dean of UNC Peace University College, Tegan Decker, interim dean of the Esther G. Maynard Honors College, Nicolette Campos, director of the Accessibility Resource Center, and Ingle Rebels, director of admissions. Now get ready for 30 minutes.
1: Set against the backdrop of eight consecutive years of declining undergraduate college enrollment across America, universities are working more feverishly than ever to recruit students, help them succeed, and send them off to change the world as freshly minted graduates. Here at UNC Pembroke, we are bucking major trends with enrollment up 23% over the last two years at the same time that retention is up 5%. These are the salad days indeed. But for all our success here, the rest of the college landscape is a pretty mixed bag. College enrollment is down 1.3% this year over last year with almost a quarter million less students in post-secondary education. Forbes magazine sets the total number of students at below 18 million, a drop of nearly 2 million since 2011 when the lingering effects of a recession seem to justify for many the impetus to go to college to prepare for a specific occupation or career. After all, the data is clear that college graduates earn more money than those without a degree, generally face less career instability, and tend to express greater job satisfaction. Populous states like Florida, New York, California, Missouri, and Pennsylvania are all serving less students this year. North Carolina is in the rare air of states with modest gains. Why is this happening? Well for starters, a bustling economy provides job options for some recent high school grads as well as for the type of second or third career adult learner who a decade earlier was taking night classes or starting an online program to learn some new job skills. States are also curbing some of their funding for public universities in a time of shifting federal policy and partisan divides, making the cost of attendance higher for many families, as well as increasing college loan debt. Birth rates from the last couple of decades declined, meaning the pool of potential high school graduates is smaller than in previous years. That trend will continue for the next few years. More to the point, perhaps we have championed the quantitative argument for college so many times in recent years that we've lost sight of the qualitative standard that college is a highly effective gateway to life. I'm reminded of the old axiom that not everything that you are counting counts, and that not everything that truly counts is easily counted. Durable, time-tested, vintage outcomes like critical thinking, problem solving, working effectively in diverse groups, becoming an informed citizen, the confidence of climbing an intellectual mountain, becoming well-read, and heightening intellectual curiosity are no less important today than they were last decade or last century and perhaps are more needed in a fractured hyperpartisan culture than ever. Instead of retreating to our digital friend circle to repeat our own mantras, what if we read something we disagreed with and shared coffee, not invectives, with those of other points of view? If that is to occur, college will lead the way. All of this means greater emphasis on determining which students can be successful at your university, recruiting them like crazy, building a transformative experience, and surrounding them with all the tools necessary to succeed. That sounds easy. It's not. Today's students called iGen by psychologist Gene Twenge are growing up slower, living more of their lives digitally as opposed to -to face-to-face facing rising mental health pressures for any number of reasons, and have parents that are, in some cases, hypervigilant. Just identifying the most effective ways to connect and communicate with high school seniors, college freshmen, and sophomores is a 21st century challenge. In no uncertain terms, today's students are different, not worse, not better, just different. They present to college with a set of skills and sensibilities that are just different. In some ways, they're more prepared for success. In other ways, this new generation needs a helping hand. And it's the challenge of leaders like Beth Holder, Tegan Decker, Nicolette Campos, and Engel Rebels to prepare and equip them for success. These four brilliant and thoughtful folks joined me today. Welcome. Thank, Thank you. In. in your collective experiences working with students, what's different about them today as opposed to a decade or some other time earlier? That's a great question.
2: I've been in higher education for well over 20 years, and I actually think that they're more similar than they are different. When you think about 18-year-olds, we know that that sense of belonging is so important. Well, that's from Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And so really, when you think of our incoming freshmen, they want us to come here with a sense of purpose, they want to form meaningful relationships, and they want to be successful. But when you think back when we were entering freshmen, we wanted the same things. Now how this generation is different is I believe things are more pronounced. With that heightened sense of anxiety, perhaps that's due to the increased use of social media, where our incoming freshmen have a tendency to constantly compare their lives to others. We know that parents are much more involved than in previous generations. They're, again, perhaps due to that constant access to technology. Many of our students report that they talk or chat or email with their parents four to ten times every day. Mercy. When I reflect back to my college days, we all stood in line on Sunday evenings to make that collect call home. And so while some of those opportunities for access can be extremely beneficial, I think it's caused our students to become much more dependent on the adults around them.
1: Without anyone telling any stories, we're all thankful that the camera phone did not exist back in the day.
3: (laughs) And I agree with Beth that the students are more similar than different generation to generation. In some ways, I think what we may attribute to the students changing or the difference in generations is just our society has changed. You know, We see students showing much more tolerance, Um, towards others but I believe that's something that has developed uh, in society as a whole so those and those are good things Uh, I also notice students much more open about mental health issues that they might be encountering that's not to say they have more of them most likely but they're more open about discussing them which is because we all you know are able to talk about that more and there's less of a stigma I believe around mental health not that it's perfect but those things that we see them doing more or acting differently, I think we all are on our phones a lot. (laughs) And we could probably all be accused of, you know, texting during an important meeting, um, just as we see students do um, in class. So, you know, what to do about that, I don't know exactly, but we all have to empathize with each other and understand that some of the problems, especially due to technology changing, are ones that we all face together.
4: And I, I'd agree with that as well. But also, I think one of the differences is the amount of information that they have access to as a generation. So I know when we think when I think back, I don't want to include all of us in this, but when I think back to um, you know my college days in high school, middle school, those uh, those years, I think you know people had encyclopedias and books and textbooks were of critical importance. And it wasn't really overwhelming. I mean, perhaps compared to today, it was more underwhelming. Um, but I think the difficulty that students have today is being able to assess um, using the critical thinking skills to assess the information that's in front of them, to assess whether it's quote unquote good information, bad information. And it's just purely overwhelming compared to earlier years.
5: I think. Those are all great points. I think if we look at the demographics of the college students that are on um, campuses today, uh, many of the students are non-traditional. In past decades, most of the students were 18 to 21. Now about 38% of our students are over the age of 25. So visually, the student looks different than the students did in past decades. Also, um, women are taking more advantage of um, college um, and they're earning their degrees. We also see more diversity on our college campuses. So that's another way that I think students are, are different than they were in decades past.
1: And thank goodness for all of that. I mean, there was a time, and it's in the not too distant past, where certain groups were discouraged from going to college, or if somebody had reached the age of 22 or 23 and hadn't gotten started, um, then they were said, oh, you're you're too old for that. Fortunately, now, you know, there are so many different opportunities to transition in or out of college. So with all of these changes, how does that change what goes on in a classroom? Are they similar enough to where we don't need to reach them in the classroom in a different way? Or are they different enough to where we do need to integrate some different techniques?
4: I think we do need to integrate some, some different techniques. The, the foundation that we have as professors you know, is excellent, but I think the way that they were raised in classrooms, they've had the flipped classroom for some years, whereas in higher education, it's a, a new concept to some of us. You know, the idea of Google Docs and Google Classroom, I know we've just gotten it in recent years. Whereas, for example, my daughter's been using it since middle school. So I think being able to stay tech savvy and being able to reach students where they are in that manner is important.
3: As yeah, students expect us to use technology in the classroom, um, in fact, you know, in evaluations, they'll say about something, why aren't they using, you know, this technology when everybody, all of my other professors are. So it's just, it's an expectation. And they uh, want us to be using it in innovative ways. And it's a lot of it is about being able to collaborate, I think. Um, they like to be able to collaborate with each other via technology and just to have all of the course materials there you know, um, to be available to them. So those are definitely ways that I think sometimes students are, are driving that more than anybody else. Um, but I also think that you know, the old methods of teaching, you know, the lecture is, still works as long as it's a good lecture. Um, and I think people are coming around to kind of viewing that again as something that's valuable, especially if students can remain engaged. But I think the time is past when we can expect students to just sit there while a professor is reading a PowerPoint and not really adding anything to it this, you know, rather than what they can just kind of get when they go home on the computer. Um, they want the faculty member to be engaging, to interact with them, and to kind of bring something of themselves and the excitement that that faculty member has for their discipline to the classroom.
2: Students also share with us that they tend not to read their textbooks. And so oftentimes that presents a challenge for that instructor in terms of activating prior knowledge and so our students tend to want that information readily available, and I agree with Tegan, they really enjoy and benefit from collaborative activities, which is really a positive thing, because that being collaborative is one of those soft skills that many employers share as an essential skill in, in the career and workforce.
1: Building on that, in in the old days, we used to say, okay, we have office hours, come to my office, I need to see you, there's a chair right next to my desk, we'll connect and we'll have a conversation about the material or studying or or anything. Is that still the right way to connect with 21st century students or do you need to engage them digitally in order to build enough of a connection for them to to actually come to the office and, and learn those soft skills as well?
5: Well, I think that um, students mainly communicate on their mobile devices or, on te- or using technology. So I think that we have to capitalize on that and we really have to reach them where they are and we have to, to learn to use these interactive tools to reach these students.
2: Well I agree with that because there does need to be a convenience factor, especially for our non-traditional students. I think that face-to-face meeting has so many benefits as well, especially in terms of building those relationships being able to look that student face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball, and really gauge that, that student's emotion, et cetera. Uh, because I agree with Tegan. one thing that I really commend this generation for is being more transparent in terms of their struggles. When we look to previous generations, we know that mental illness was seen with some negativity. Uh, and so I really salute our 18, 19 young adults uh, really sharing when they are having challenges, not being afraid to ask for help, uh, not hesitating to seek out services such as counseling, disability support, um, some of those issues that many students were embarrassed
3: by in generations in the past. Yeah, and I think sometimes that people kind of lament, you know, why don't students come to my office hours? And there's no way beyond actually forcing them to get them to do that. But I have found that there are other ways to engage with students. For instance, I take my students to on a service learning activity to an elementary school to read with students um, at the elementary school. And during that day, students who never approached me, never talked to me in my class, who you would consider withdrawn or shy, would come up very excited to tell me about what happened that day. So you know, they're just oh, come and we'll talk about you know what troubles you're having in class come to my office, a lot of times students don't feel comfortable doing that, even if it's that the professor is fairly approachable, it's just not something that they want to do. But so there are other ways to engage with students, not just with service projects, but undergraduate research and you know all sorts of ways that kind of bring the faculty or the professor more in the realm of like a regular person that they can interact with in different ways.
1: It's a little ironic in some sense that students who have learned to communicate digitally and through their phones really do appreciate going and doing, building something, even if they're just building an experience for the day. Mm -hmm.
0: This is Chancellor Robin Cummings, and I want to thank you for listening to 30 Brave Minutes. Our faculty and students provide expertise, energy, and passion driving our region forward. Our commitment to southeastern North Carolina has never been stronger through our teaching our research, and our community outreach. I want to encourage you to consider making a tax-deductible contribution to the College of Arts and Sciences at the University of North Carolina at Pembroke. With your help, we will continue our impact for generations to come. You can donate online at uncp.edu slash give. Thanks again for listening. Now back to more 30 brave minutes.
1: Well, let's uh, sort of start at the beginning. Engel, you are... Somewhat responsible for all of this great growth of students that we've had with all of your good uh, efforts in recruiting them. What do high school juniors and seniors tell you that they want out of a college experience?
5: So I think if you were to poll high school juniors and seniors and um, community college transfers, I think you'd find very different answers. I think that the high school juniors and seniors, I think they're seeking engagement. They're seeking community. They want to make those connections. A lot of the students that we recruit, they're first generation. They're underrepresented. So those students, they're really seeking that personal, individualized experience. Uh, they want to feel valued and uh, whether it's, it's in the classroom or through student programming. The community college student, on the other hand, they're usually the non-traditional student and they're taking care of family members. Um, they're working full- time, so they're really looking for flexibility. Uh, and they want to, they want their college experience to really fit seamlessly into their busy schedules.
1: And so colleges spend all of their time building an experience around to fit all of those different audiences because there is no singular monolithic college student anymore. They're, they're different in, from each other, not just from maybe from, from some previous students. Nicolette, you assist students who have all kinds of um, accessibility needs. How do you help make sure that the challenges that they face can be fully overcome and they can feel fully included in their college experience?
4: So there's a couple of ways that we do that in terms of being proactive. We are out on the the college campus, out in the community, sort of doing different awareness events, offering training. So for example, we collaborated with the Teaching and Learning uh, Center last year and created UNCP's inaugural certificate program in accessibility in teaching and learning. So I think that's really important to just bring awareness about when we think about access barriers and discrimination. In my over 20 years in higher education at three institutions, never have I once had anybody say to me, I am purposely going to discriminate. It's usually unintentional. So what that means is we have to bring awareness, we have to be proactive. So I think that's really important. And then um, in terms of working one-on-one with students, then of course we work with students on uh, accommodations. So this is a case-by-case situation. Students can apply as a student with a disability to um, be approved for accommodations. And so essentially what those are is we assess what the functional limitations are of the disability. So in layman's terms, what's the barrier in the classroom? And then it's our job to figure out what accommodation, what reasonable accommodation can be put in place to equal the playing field. And so our department is actually located in academic affairs on this campus and on other campuses. Oftentimes they're located in student affairs and we look very different. And so in academic affairs, we look at a student as any other student. We level the playing field, and then that student accesses services across the university as any other student would. So you know, they're not our students, they're UNCP students. And so if a student needs tutoring, you know, as long as the accommodation is in place, so for example, if a student needs a sign language interpreter, that person will be in place. And so the student can access tutoring services as any other student but with an interpreter in place.
1: So it's really about creating this um, this mindset to where you're thinking about it, an entirely holistic approach. It's not just is the physical space designed to allow this person who has a specific need to access it. It's really about making sure that it's a, the same experience or as clo- absolutely as close to the same experience as any other student would have.
4: Exactly, and as you mentioned, with the physical access and physical space, looking at our offices, which sometimes then it can be useful to have technology because if we were to, in the old school way, require students to come to our office hours, it may be that our office is not very accessible, which then means it's not very inclusive and welcoming. So technology can be a real advantage there. But, yeah, we look at uh, class space, but also course materials college events, college websites, everything to ensure that it's accessible to all students, and of course their families as well.
1: Do you think universities in general and society in general are more welcoming and more mindful of people with disabilities?
4: I think we are today. theres there's been a great shift over the years and I know you know as Tegan mentioned earlier, there's a lot more awareness of those invisible disabilities. We're often aware of the visible disabilities. but you know truth be known, across the nation, most students who are on college campuses actually have invisible disabilities. So for example, of all the students using accommodations on our campus, the vast majority are. Uh, students with invisible disabilities so just bringing that awareness and I think the students coming in today This is another another difference that we haven't discussed. They are more aware They're more aware of diversity whether it's diversity due to a disability whether it's diversity You know in age creed Ethnicity religion and I think in a lot of ways as a generation. They're more accepting Um, Does that mean there's not still work to be done? No, of course we can always improve um, I think in, in a, an ideal world, I actually wouldn't have a job because we'd have universal design and everything would already be accessible. Fortunately, we don't live in that perfect world. Oh, we would find another <laughs> job for you, I promise you. That. <laughs>
1: You're listening to 30 Break Bin- Minutes, a broadcast service of the College of Arts and Sciences at UNC Pembroke. I'm Jeff Frederick, and we're talking about modern college students and how to help them succeed. Beth, your role is in both the academic and the success skill transition for first year students. What are some of the best practices that help that first semester student really to get off to a good start?
2: For our entering students, we really focus on building those relationships. And that is really important with that academic advisor. So UNC Pembroke about a year ago started the university college in that we recognize, like many universities have, that coming to college is a huge transition. And so we certainly want to support that student academically, but also holistically in terms of forming those relationships, first with their academic advisor, but also with their age peers. We're having wonderful success with several learning communities where students are co-enrolled in courses based on either their major or their theme, And so that's really what we focus on, is building those relationships, but also sharing with students all the different supports, services, and resources that are available on our campus. And so we have a a robust writing center to help our students with their composition skills, tutoring, including online tutoring, and of course those services that can really be great resume builders, such as undergraduate research, the Honors College, study abroad, Um, et cetera, and so we really help that student really make that huge transition in multiple ways. Then throughout the semester, we continue to build on skills that are really important, especially in a college classroom, such as goal setting, time management, conflict resolution, Um, and so we continue that support throughout that important first year. That's especially true in the first semester in that all of our incoming freshmen, required to take a course University 1000 freshman seminar which is taught by multiple campus stakeholders where we focus on on that transition to college those important academic and social skills as well as career exploration and affirmation.
1: So you and your team are really sort of the tip of the spear in diagnosing almost on a one-to-one relationship-to-relationship basis what a student needs to get them off to a good start? Correct. And with as diverse as a place as UNC Pembroke is, it means you've you've seen some some aspect of everything in order to help a student get connected.
2: Correct, and that's one thing I love about this campus, as well as this generation, is we want all of our students to be successful. Uh, But we really do appreciate that how one student defines success may be very different from how another student defines success. For example, one student may want to graduate from UNC Pembroke with full honors um, and and so was really working diligently for that high GPA, while another student, a leadership role, perhaps SGA president, uh, is how that student would define success, and for other students, that important um, service in our community. And so we really help each student uh, in terms of how they define success to really find the best avenue for how they can achieve it.
1: Tegan, as Dean of the Honors College, you deal with directly with a lot
3: of high-achieving students. They face a different set of pressures. What are some of those? Well, they do, um, although many of them actually are the same <laughs> in the t- terms of family issues that all of our students um, deal with, as well as the transition to, to college. The, the freshmen, um, honors students, sometimes have been it's been easy for them to do well in high school, And suddenly in college it's not so easy to do well, and that's a big challenge for them, um, where they have to really kind of figure out what those study skills are that will work for them, um, that they haven't actually had to employ before. So that can be a challenge. Um, So sometimes they do stumble (laughs) in the beginning. Um, Also, some of them are just very, very career focused, which is a good thing, but sometimes it's hard for them to slow down and appreciate all that the university experience has to offer. So that's a good thing that we try to do in the Honors College is encourage them to study abroad or um, engage with leadership and service that might not always directly correlate to what they plan to do. And also, probably the biggest thing that I try to really push and provide in the Honors Colleges is a liberal arts education. So we have interdisciplinary seminars that students take. And so for instance, if a student who knows that he wants to be a nurse, you know, is in a humanities seminar studying Gilgamesh, you know, he may not quite see the connection and may even comment upon that. You know, why am I doing this? I don't quite get it. But at the same time, he really enjoys and feels fulfilled by the course. Well, I think that maybe those skills that he's learning and those like insights into the human condition and relationships will inform that nursing practice later on
1: and in fact the very first question they're going to ask their patient is about their patient's history so even though their experience reading a epic with historical undertones doesn't immediately come to mind it's
3: in fact exactly what they're later going to be doing right exactly And so we, you know, it's why we have general education, right, is to to do that for all of our students. But I think that especially with honor students who tend to come in, you know, I want to be a physical therapist, I want to be this or that, that to really, you know, make sure that they get that experience and, um, and appreciate it as well.
1: So there's this long value chain here. It starts with Engel and her team recruiting the right students. And then Beth and Nicolette help provide them the resources they need. And if they're an honors college student, you're transitioning them through to success, but also preparing them for their next stop, which might be graduate or professional school. Mm -hmm. How do you help to prepare people for what comes next?
3: Well, one of the main ways is that um, all the students in the Honors College complete a senior project and it takes place over a year. And probably one of the biggest benefits to that is that they are working with a faculty mentor in their discipline. And so, whatever the case, whatever their senior project ends up being about, whatever, whenever they look back on this experience, they cite their relationship with that faculty mentor as being very, very valuable and helpful as they um, prepare for graduate school, not only intellectually but emotionally and you know, just feeling capable and knowing that they will be able to succeed there and feel that they're among equals when they arrive. And I think that interacting with the faculty on campus um, in a kind of more one on one way allows them to realize that they are valued by somebody in their profession. They can carry on a conversation with somebody in their their you know profession that they're choosing, so that they'll be able, feel more comfortable doing that as they move along. And also, of course, the content of the project, you know, I always say, Pick something that you want to do that's interesting to you, but also something that will help you get to your next step. And so that's, that's, that, that's really the main way that we specifically prepare students.
1: Sometimes um, people um, have this negative aspect or this negative viewpoint of the current generation. They're not tough enough or strong enough or you know, they won't be ready for their time to lead society. I usually respond that they, they in fact are, and they may do things differently in some sense than we do, but they're they are gonna do great things. How would you all respond to that? If someone says to you, oh, these current college students,
3: they're, they're just not really ready. What, what would you say? Well, I see students um, every day who I think, if I, you know, this person wants to be a doctor, and I think if that person was my doctor, you know, in 20 years, would I be okay with this? And I say yes, <laughs> most of the time. I mean, not everybody, right? But Or, you know, there's a student I had in my freshman composition class this year that who's uh, very interested and passionate about politics, and I think that this person could be a great politician. You know, so I just see these individual students and see what they. I think that they're capable of, and that I feel like I would be comfortable with them being in charge of my medical or political, <laughs> you know, well-being. And so I don't know about all the students or the whole generation, but I can say that the students that I know and that I meet are definitely ready for the future.
2: I agree. I just with this generation, they have such an entrepreneurial spirit, regardless of their major. Um, And so they're so excited to be innovative, to try new ideas. Also really appreciate how this generation is so accepting of others and have grown up in a very inclusive environment Uh, and that has so many benefits and I think will serve them well as they enter into into their careers.
4: I think I would agree with that and also from our our area, we have some extraordinarily resilient students. So for a student with a disability. that student has the same transition issues as every other student but then add on top of that the functional limitations of a disability. So it can be extremely challenging and of course they come in with all abilities and degrees of acceptance of those disabilities. And again, we always see the the students that have the visible disabilities who um, go across the, the stage and shake the chancellor's hand and receive their diploma but then there are those who have had kidney transplants They've been on, you know, dialysis daily for for years. They have, or have had, cancer. They have daily recurring migraines. You know, we just don't see this on a daily basis um, across campus. We see it in our area, but of course, for confidentiality purposes, others don't. So, for those students to embrace their disability, to um, embrace their capabilities, and to be able to walk across that stage as any other student, I think that really shows. Uh, the degree of capability that our students have and that this generation has today.
5: Yeah, and while while I think um, this generation's path to higher education is much different than the generation from 1970, uh, I think th- that this generation is very goal-driven, they're collaborative, and I think they're really gonna leverage technology and their resources to get them where they need to be and to make them successful and able to lead society.
1: I think that's a great point. They grew up with a different set of tools in their mm-hmm. toolbox, and um, while they may not have been putting up a fence with a hammer and a, uh, a ratchet and a screwdriver, they they grew up breathing technology in ways that earlier generations did not. And I would hazard a guess that major innovations that can be technologically driven will happen a lot quicker in the next couple of decades because of that.
5: Right, and they've created that technology um, so that we don't have to use a hammer and the nail anymore. You know, They've been the brains behind the technology so we can – no longer use the manual labor.
1: Well final question, what are some of the joys, uh, just pick one, of, of getting to work and getting to know college students on a daily basis?
5: Well I think from my, for my office I work with prospective students so I can speak from that standpoint but I think it's very rewarding and fulfilling to to know that we've actually changed the life of a student and we've provided access for higher education and for them um, to be able to, to obtain their degree. I mean, I, I just think that's life changing for them, it's life changing for us. And then to be able to work on a college campus every day and just be around students and really experience um, the spirit of the university, it's just, it's great.
3: Yeah, I have a, um, the opportunity to see students from when they are incoming freshmen to when they're graduating and kind of tracing that journey and it's, Just so wonderful to see them, you know, in in that four years, especially a traditional age student, they grow up so much, you know, and having been a part of that is important to me. Having, you know, feeling like I and others on campus, the faculty and staff, have contributed to someone's development, you know, their educational development and their personal development. And to really, really see that and often have them say something about it, even, you know, how successful they are um, isn't always as important in that sense, as just how they've changed and how, and how they've matured and how our university has been a part of that.
2: I really do feel like I have the best job
3: on this campus,
2: and I have the opportunity to look at those arriving freshmen, and, and they are so scared, uh, and they're anxious, and they're wondering, did I make the right choice? Will I fit in? Will I make friends? And to have the opportunity to watch our incoming students not just find out that they are that they did make the right choice in choosing UNCP, but really to blend in, be successful, form those relationships, be successful in the classroom, uh, and just see their confidence grow so significantly in just one short academic year is just a wonderful opportunity.
4: And I'd agree with, with Beth. We get to see students, you know, come in the first day and the their trepidation, the fear, the excitement tied in with that, not knowing whether or not they can do this, so to speak. So to be able to offer, you know, a simple accommodation so that the educational experience is accessible to a student and to see them come in, not know that whether or not they'll even be able to finish the semester and then to see them be able to walk across the stage. You know, I've often commented to... Um, Know family and friends about how I have, like Beth said, you know, the greatest job. How many times do you get to, you know, come to work daily knowing that you could easily impact some, you know, multiple people's lives in a, in a positive way? You know, not too many people can say that. And in over, again, over 20 years in higher education, I think not a day has gone by that I'm not, you know, happy to go to work. You know, some days are better than others, um, but I don't think I've ever been in a position where I've woken up. Dreading to come to work, and I think you know that's, that's a selfish thing to say, but I think I'm really fortunate that way. But again, to be able to you know impact a student's life, multiple students' lives, I think it's it's awesome. And and you know we're all here. I think we would say we're all here to serve students. Yeah,
5: I think one of the most joyous moments of my career, um, it's the story started two years ago. We admitted a student from Nepal. He was a refugee, and he came through the College Opportunity Program, and he's now one of our Brave Ambassadors. A couple of weeks ago he went, he drove to Charlotte and he took his citizenship test and he and he became a US citizen. And then that same afternoon he was back in my office calling prospective students. So that was that was great. It's those stories and students like um, like that student that really just make you know the the work well worth it.
1: What a great and uplifting conversation. Thank you everybody. Thank you. Uh, be confident world. There are brilliant professionals like Engel and Tegan and Beth Nicolette out there molding these young, great students that you said this way. Thank you for listening to 30 Great Minutes. Join us again next time.
0: Today's podcast was edited by Richard Gay and transcribed by Janet Gentis, theme music created by Riley Morton. This content is copyrighted by the University of North Carolina at Pembroke and the College of Arts and Sciences. It is to be used for educational and non-commercial purposes only and is not to be changed, altered, or used in any commercial endeavor without the express written permission of authorized representatives of UNCP. The views and opinions expressed by the individuals during the course of these discussions are their own and do not necessarily represent the views, opinions, and positions of UNCP or any of its subsidiary literary programs, schools, departments, or divisions. While reasonable efforts have been made to ensure that information discussed is current and accurate at the time of release, neither UNCP nor any individual presenting material makes any warranty that the information presented in the original recording has remained accurate due to advances in research, technology, or industry standards. Thanks for listening, and Go Braves! Good job, everybody!